Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in. You may have noticed that we are not in our usual set and that's because we are here at Blaze headquarters in Dallas and with me I have a very special guest, Miss Ali Stuckey, who's a fellow Blaze TV host and host of Relatable. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Yours is one of my favorite podcasts. I oh. listen to it all the time. Don't thank tell you. the other Blaze TV hosts, okay, but I like won't. you are <laughs> you are definitely up there. And there's a lot I want to talk to you about. Um you do so much having to do with like the gospel and the way it intersects with pop culture. So I definitely want to ask you about that. And you also have a book coming up, yes. which is, I've already received an advanced copy. Don't mean to make everyone else jealous, but it's really good. <laughs> Thank so you. I hope Thank we can you so talk much. about that. Yeah. So I didn't share these tweets before we started filming because I wanted to get your live reaction. But this whole concept of like woke Christianity is something that's kind of, I don't want to say infesting, but actually, yeah, kind of infesting, I think more and more a surprising amount of churches out there. And there is this one person on Twitter, Joe Lumen, who I, every time I see her tweets, I want to die a little bit inside. But I <laughs> wanted to get your, your take on it because this is a worldview that we're seeing more and more. So she says, I am a Christian and I don't go to church. I am a Christian and I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. I am a Christian and I embrace sex positivity, which includes but isn't limited to sex outside of marriage. I am a Christian and I believe everyone has access to God. Okay. I, everyone, I am a Christian and I do as I please. I am a Christian and I know Christianity has been used as a weapon of white supremacy for so long that any Christian who isn't actively dismantling white supremacy is harming people with their theology. Best theological stance or... Uh, yeah. Is it a theological stance? I'm not really sure. Is it just kind of some weird form of pseudo-religious postmodernism? More likely. I think it goes back to okay what do words actually mean the left has a has a problem i would say not everyone on the left but a portion of the left has a problem with the idea of objectivity and objective definition of words we see that a lot when people are calling for justice okay what does justice actually mean it doesn't mean revenge doesn't mean mm -hmm. retribution but it's especially true in what i would call the christian woke culture of saying i love god or i you know follow jesus or i believe in justice okay what do these words actually mean and in joe's case like what does christian actually mean because the definition of a christian as defined by the bible is someone who takes up their cross and follows jesus christ is a disciple of christ and christ says if you love me you will keep my commandments well what are his commandments to love the lord our god with all our heart mind soul and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves. and the rest of the bible gives us a very um, specific portrayal of what that looks like. And that does include, for example, uh, sexual purity. And so sex within the bounds of, uh, you know, male and female marriage, it does mean holiness. It does mean honoring um, our bodies in a way that pleases God. It means charity to our neighbors, generosity, love, grace, peace, all of these things. And so when you say that you basically reject Jesus's definition of what Christianity is and the Bible's definition of what Christianity is, and even the Bible altogether, my question is, what is your definition of Christian? You say you're a Christian, but what does that actually mean? And by your definition, then is anyone a Christian who claims to be a Christian? But again, it kind of goes into this problem that we see with a lot of people on the left is that what do words actually mean? Like, what does it mean to be a woman, for example? Apparently, That's contentious. Yes, yeah. apparently it can mean anything. And so, sure, I guess if words can mean anything, if truth is not a reality that exists, if objectivity is just a figment of some people's imaginations and relativism reigns, then sure, I guess anyone can be a Christian. Christian, if your definition of Christian is 
whatever you want it to mean. Yeah, just this moral relativism applied to religion. I have actually, I don't mean to put too much of a stress on your system, but I have more <laughs> posts from her that I would like to get your reaction to. But first, I want to tell all the lovely people watching uh, about Candid. So there hasn't been a whole lot of reason to smile lately, but things are getting better. And those things, there are... Those are the things you can't help but smile about, right? The things that, are, I don't know, for me include eating out at a restaurant again. I went to the zoo the other day. It's like, finally, we are starting to get back to regular life. But do you have a megawatt smile to show off? If not, my friends over at Candid can help. Candid clear liners are comfortable, removable, and totally invisible, unlike wire braces. So you can transform your smile without anyone knowing. So you spoke to Liam, our producer, the other just a little bit outside. Did you notice he was wearing his Candid clear I liners? I did not. Yeah. No, so, I did not. And he has totally managed to kind of get over any uncomfortable with speaking. I'm having a little bit more trouble with my retainer, but he's gotten like hands down so no one could even tell that he is having his teeth straightened right now. With Candid, your treatment includes remote monitoring by the same orthodontist who created your plan so you never have to wonder how you're doing. You will always know, which I love. And the average ca Candid treatment is just six months and you'll start seeing results way before then. And on average, Candid costs 50% less than Invisalign. So are you ready to take your first step toward getting your dream smile? You cannot wait to show off. Get started today from the comfort of your own home with Candid's risk-free starter kit and $75 off. Go to candidco.com slash Lauren and use the code Lauren. That's candidco.com slash Lauren and use code Lauren for your risk-free starter kit and $75 off. Again, candidco.com slash Lauren. So, of course, we're having a big discussion about race right now. And it's it's I feel more polarized than it has been in a really long time. And what I love about Christianity is the idea like there is no man, there's no woman. We're all one in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, I feel like we're seeing more of that racial divisiveness starting to infect the church, which I think is really heartbreaking because for a long time, I felt like this is the one place where we can all be unified. Um, but this is what our good friend Joe says. She says, if your faith deconstruction doesn't include decolonizing, which means you deal with white supremacy and patriarchy at the personal and systemic level, then you're just switching the weapon you are using to harm others, but harm will continue to be done at your hands. And I think you've even tweeted and posted about it. There have been um, Christian authors that I respect even mention things like we need to be more diverse in the types of apologetics that we're talking about the types of speakers that we're featuring how should a christian look at the whole racial politics of today through the lens of i guess what the bible teaches us to respond to the first thing that joe said that if you're a deconstruction of faith she assumes that people are supposed to deconstruct their faith we're not called to deconstruct our faith we're mm. called to be what the bible calls berean so we look at the scripture and uh we weigh what is true uh, according to the objective standard of scripture but of course if i had a conversation with joe we would have to go way back to the basics about what she believes about god and all of that but to get to your question about um the idea of so-called racial reconciliation that's kind of been the phrase that's been and yeah. propagated a lot within the church. First, I think that most people who talk about this are extremely well-meaning. They uh, have a desire to reconcile with their brother and sister in Christ and to rectify either past wrongs or current injustices or discrimination or any idea of the church being complicit in, uh, you know, injustices towards uh, towards Black Christians or the Black community at large. And so I think that the motivations behind the, the so-called movement of racial reconciliation are probably good. I think the problem is, is that a lot of Christians that are talking about this, rather than linking arms with other Christians who might disagree with them on the subject or their methods, they're linking 
arms with secular Marxist mm-hmm. activists um, that are in Black Lives Matter saying, no, these are the people we have to partner with. These are the only people that are pushing for things um, like justice. These are the only people that are talking about racism and things like that. Well, that's not true. There are a lot of Black and white Christians who don't agree with Black Lives Matter, for example, who don't agree with the whole racial reconciliation movement because a lot of the racial reconciliation movement within the church, the evangelical church, um, is a really really about, I would say, uh, white guilt and white privilege and this kind of narrative of um, systemic and centuries-old oppression that has never been broken up and has never had any respite and has never had any progress whatsoever. And that's where we start having kind of the debates and the problems. The disagreement is not on whether or not we should be at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ and that we should speak out against injustice and abuse and discrimination and real instances of police brutality. That's not the disagreement. We all agree on that. And we should all agree as Christians that essentially at the end of the day, the gospel is the answer. Because as we are reconciled as a sinful people to a holy God, we are also reconciled with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like C.S. Lewis, he does an analogy of like spokes in the hub of a wheel. If the spoke is rightly placed in the hub of a wheel, then it's in proper alignment with the rest of the spokes. And that's what we see about the Christian church. So the disagreement isn't that. The disagreement is between um, Christians who believe that racial reconciliation is accomplished through Marxist means and through Marxist dialogue, reading things like white fragility, um, the perpetuating stories like ta Coates and racial reparations and things like that. And the other side who says, you know, no, we need to stick to what Jesus tells us to do that brings peace. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a side who says, you know, it's not enough to not be racist you have to be anti-racist you have to denounce your white privilege and you have to search inside yourself for white supremacy and then the other side of the evangelical church saying no 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 we need to go into scripture to look at what peace looks like to look at what reconciliation looks like to look at what you know what does justice really mean what does justice really look like and we have to be able to look at facts and statistics about police brutality about uh crime and the problems in these minority communities There's a segment of the church, unfortunately, under the umbrella of racial reconciliation that are not willing to talk about facts, that are not willing to talk about the true problems, not willing to talk about tangible solutions, just want to have nebulous conversations about systemic racism and white supremacy um, to no avail, to no conclusion. And so that's the disagreement, not whether or not we should have peace, not whether or not injustice is bad, not whether or not racism is bad. It's what are the proper biblical methods to be able to bring peace within the church and so we can shine light to the rest of the world as well right for sure and i feel like when i listen to these people who kind of preach the social justice message under the guise of christianity i can't help but notice how often they bring in sources that are not related to scripture and who maybe aren't even christians themselves right and i just feel like it's more and more about embracing what is the worldly trending perspective rather than an eternal one, a biblical one. And so it is nice to have people like you who actually will take a stand and say, hang on, let's not get too carried away here. We actually have everything we need right here. Why are we bringing in all of these Marxist like ideas as if the Bible doesn't address this? Yeah. I think you're right. It absolutely does. And again, like no one here is 
pro-racism or saying that it's good. It's just the answer doesn't necessarily need to be, let's just form all of these communist like communes yeah. together. And, and it's not that you we can't find wisdom from people who, yeah. you know, are not Paul and, and Peter, the people who are writing these books through the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Of course, you can gain wisdom from so-called secular resources. What I find interesting is that the people who are pointing to secular resources to their church are only pointing to one side. Okay, if you're going to tell people to read Jamar Tisby or Tanahisi Coates or things like that to gain a perspective in the name of elevating voices of color, then you should also be promoting Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams and Shelby Steele and John McWhorter, all of these so-called voices of color uh, that have a, a different and very analytical and data-driven perspective about things that are going on in the Black community. So if we're going to look for outside perspectives, okay, like I understand, but let our pursuit be one of truth and not just one of emotionalism. Um, and that unfortunately is what I see a lot of woke evangelicals promoting only one side of the story rather than like you said going back to the gospel and looking at the whole breadth of work out there that analyzes the issues mm -hmm. and do you think what what i feel and it's really frustrating when i hear all of these like woke activists talk about all these sources that i can't help but notice that a lot of the people they point to um not only are they not Christian, and here's the problem, they actually have a very negative view yes. of Christianity, and they're very actually um, against what would be a biblical worldview. So, and we actually see this um, kind of on the flip side as well. We see mainstream left-wing culture kind of, I mean, chastise Christians a lot, but when it's convenient for them, I think they will be the first to say, well, that's not very Christian of you. So it's like, is, does being Christian, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is that a sign of morality or a sign of immoral white supremacy? Right. So it's like, how are we supposed to deal with that as well? Even when we're looking at other sources, should the way that they, um, their general worldview affect our willingness to embrace them when we're talking about these moral issues? Yes, absolutely. For example, like there are some, uh, for example, some authors that are being promoted by people in the church who don't just have a particular political point of view, but like you said, also have an atheistic point of view or at the very best, the an agnostic point of view. Mm -hmm. So that means that they don't see people as made in in the image of God. They don't believe that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Like that is going to affect how they see politics. And a, a lot of the, I would say, left-wing books as opposed to, you know, books by Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams that are very data-driven, really just go through data sets and data sets to point to some of the problems that are existing in their communities. Um, a lot of these are emotional narratives with prescriptions, with political prescriptions and ideological prescriptions that, like you said, are unbiblical. Like there isn't, not everyone obviously on the left is a Marxist. Not right. everyone who believes in racial reconciliation is a Marxist. I'm not saying that at all. But some of the prescriptions uh, that these left-wing authors on racism they are they are Marxist and they are presenting Marxist solutions and they are uh, presenting socialism as the answer or even pro-choice activism as the answer. So a pastor needs to look at, okay, is this not just non-Christian? Because like I said, you can gain wisdom from secular sources, but uh, are these unbiblical? Are they presenting anti-biblical, 
unchristian solutions, anti-gospel solutions to these issues. Um, if that's the case, then of course you have no no business promoting those ideas. Mm-hmm. Now to switch gears a little bit, you have a book coming out, which is really exciting. I think it's the release date is August, right? Yes, August 11th. Right, but you can pre-order it now and it's called You're Not Enough and That's Okay. Yes, Escaping and- the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. <laughs> so this is, I mean, you do a lot of controversial takes, which I love, but <laughs> I feel like strangely enough, this is one of the most controversial. On our show, we talk a lot about the whole body positivity movement and just relationships in general. And I feel like, especially younger people, they have a, a an allerg- an allergy essentially to be d- being told that they're not enough yeah. or that they need to work on something. We have this whole, even in relationships, this idea of, well, if you can't have me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Um, you know, take someone who will love all of your faults and stuff, which of course... You- Unconditional love is a good thing, but I feel like more and more people use that as a crutch to dismiss any types of self-growth, self-growth or reflection or anything like that. So how how, how do you, as an author, bring that to the table? Because that's, yeah. that's dicey nowadays. Well, what you just said actually points out one of the essential problems of what I call the cult of self-affirmation. So mm-hmm. this kind of ubiquitous cult, which I know that in itself sounds like a paradox, but it is kind of this ubiquitous cult of self-help and self-love gurus telling you like you're enough, you're perfect the way you are. There's nothing that you need to change about yourself. But at the same time, so they'll say something like, you know, if you can't take me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. But also, if someone is weighing you down, they're toxic and you need to cut them out of your life. Yes. And so there is a lot of hypocrisy in um, in the cult of self-affirmation that you are perfect the way you are, but... If you read my book, if you do my 10-step program, if you clean out my closet the way that I tell you to clean out your closet, if you repeat these positive mantras, if you, you know, uh, do yoga a certain way, meditate, then you'll be really perfect as you are. So it's what I call the the paradox of, of perfection that's presented in the toxic culture of self-love, that you're perfect the way you are, but you really have to do all of these things to really be perfect. It's this very new age idea that who you are deep down inside you is essentially perfect, that you have this perfect, flawless inner goddess deep down. And if it weren't for capitalism, if it weren't for the patriarchy, if it weren't for oppressive society and societal expectations and advertising and, you know, uh, unfair body type standards and all these things, then you then that real perfect goddess would come out and you would love her and you would be confident. And then once you're confident, you would be able to do anything you want in life. It's your lack of self-love. It's your lack of realizing and manifesting that inner goddess that is making you not start that new business or not have a healthy marriage or not have a great sex life or not tone your arms or whatever it is that you are wanting to do. That's the kind of message that if we could just get you to love yourself and see how perfect you really are deep down inside, then you'll finally be successful and be fulfilled. Well, what I noticed is that a lot of these self-help gurus leave a wake of misery, of depression, of anxiety, of instability, of failed relationships in their past and even in their present, even as they are telling other people that if you follow me, you'll then finally you'll be, be happy. confident and happy. And so what we find is that self-love isn't satisfying, but God's love is. So this book is really about replacing five of the myths that 
are surrounding this toxic culture of self-love and replacing them with God's truth. And it's really about relieving us of the of the burden and the responsibility of being our own God, having to satisfy ourselves, having to look at ourselves as, as perfect, as flawless, as being able to empower ourselves and teach ourselves and worship ourselves and become successful, you know, based on our, our own strength and ability. That's a burden that we can't carry. Um, so we talk about, you know, the idea of determining your own truth truth of um, not loving other people until you love yourself. All of these silly myths that sound liberating and empowering, but at the end of the day, burden us with an obligation and a role that we cannot carry and we cannot fill. Jesus has already filled those roles for us. So we're not perfect, but Jesus is. Self-love won't satisfy, but God's love will. And so it is through following him and forgetting ourselves that you find the confidence and the fulfillment and the love and the satisfaction that you're looking for, not inside yourself. Someone who I had on my podcast a couple weeks ago, Stephen Bancars, he said something that I love is that yourself makes a terrible God because you can't tell yourself anything you don't already know. And that is (laughs) so true. true. It's so obvious. But this book is about that, about stop worshiping the God of self in the pursuit of happiness because you're just going to end up miserable. I get very vulnerable about my own story, about how I was on that pursuit and I reached a dead end when I was in college and just kind of my, you know, uh, journey with that through God's grace. And so that's what the book is about. Five myths in this toxic culture of self-love, starting with the very liberating, but it sounds offensive, but liberating and good news that you're not enough and that's okay. Right. And I feel like it, that kind of that's okay part of the title that's really important because i've spoken with atheists about the whole christian worldview uh, of things like sin and the uh, the response that i got was wow you you must be such an unhappy bunch to think that you can you're not perfect you can never be perfect you, you must be so down on yourself and i actually at the time pointed out to him well if we look at it christians are measurably happier not that we should base everything on, on self-polls. Right. But I love that you explained that this is actually a, a freeing kind of concept because otherwise, if you, you think you can achieve perfection, but you, for whatever reason, aren't doing that by yourself. Because you won't. Of, yeah, because you won't. And of course you can't. That actually, I, I find that a more stressful worldview, yeah. right? Because you're always going to fall short. Yeah. And I love that you, you, you kind of you marry the ideas of like, yeah, this is some criticism, but this is good news, right? Because yeah. you're not alone in this and you don't have to be. Do you think that's something that um, a lot of people are going to be hungry for who maybe aren't already Christians or things like that? I, I think so. Now, it definitely is a Christian book. So if someone you know, hates Christianity, they're probably not going to like my prescriptions, but you know, I pray for soft hearts as, as they, as they read the book. This is, you know, an explicitly Christian book because I do believe objectively across the board that the gospel is the answer, that Jesus is the only one. I mean, Jesus says, I am the truth or know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so knowing him is knowing truth and it's knowing freedom. And that is what everyone essentially wants. Like the thing that the human heart hungers for uh, is to be fully satisfied, to not be, you know, thrown about by the turbulent waters of culture and your changing circumstances and despair and joy and all of these things, but to be steady, to be anchored, to be satisfied. I mean, it's like Jesus, when he's talking to the woman at the well and she's getting water and he's like, don't you, you know, paraphrasing, but don't you want to never be thirsty again? I have living water for you. And so the things that we are craving, all the satisfaction and fulfillment are found in Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the essential point of the book. But of course, 
course, we look at, you know, cultural and political issues that are manifesting itself from this kind of worldview that I am my own God, I determine my own truth and all of that. So we get into things like cancel culture, social justice, um, the kind of selfishness of uh, pretending that you have to love yourself before you can love other people and how that damages your relationship. So we get very specific as well. But yes, I do believe that the gospel, um, you know, is the answer to all of that. I do want to say one thing I know that we probably have to wrap up, but I was thinking as you were talking about the atheist that you were talking to um, saying, you know, you must just be so sad and miserable. Since yeah, you such can- a negative worldview. Yeah, yeah so negative. You can't ever be perfect. Well, let's look at cancer culture right now like let's look at the social justice mobs that are basically saying especially particularly if you look at something like white fragility that if you're a white person you are inherently racist and you can never not be racist but you can do all of these things and maybe you'll kind of get there and so there there is another religion out there the religion of social justice and the religion of you know if you want to call it cultural marxism whatever it is that is also a religion that is telling you that you're not good enough that you're inherently bad but unlike christianity it doesn't have a way for you to be saved from that Mm -hmm. has no grace it has no mercy it has no one to go in your stead and reach the standard on your behalf but christianity does and so if you go out of christianity it's not like you're going to find some freedom and liberation of never having to meet some kind of standard of behavior it's that you go out side of Christianity and you find all kinds of arbitrary standards of behavior that you're never actually able to reach and there is no grace or forgiveness for you if you fail. Right. And I think what's so interesting is watching, I mean, interesting and also depressing is that watching the whole cult of social justice really, like you said, explode into a religion. They've reestablished like original sin. Right. I mean, tithing, essentially. I I saw not that long ago someone on their like Bumble or Tinder account saying, I'm not even going to talk to you unless you screenshot me your donation to Black Lives Matter. I mean, everyone's posting all these donation links and stuff. So it really is in a lot of ways becoming a religion. And I mean, everything I've heard atheists criticize about Christianity. Christianity, the left is embracing it, but without any any kind of like redemptive factors, which is really scary. Exactly. But thank you so much for sharing all of this. If people yeah. want to follow you, subscribe to you, where would be the best way to do that? Yes. So Relatable is, it, it's on, you know, everywhere you get your podcast. It's on YouTube as well. You can, um, you know, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, all of that. And it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday that it comes out and we just talk about culture politics from a biblical perspective and you can follow me on Twitter I think you can just you know type She's in a lot of fun on at Twitter by oh, the way yeah thanks. I love your account <laughs> I appreciate that um yeah you can follow me on Twitter Facebook Instagram all that good stuff I do have a website so if you go to alibethstuckycom slash book that's where you can find all the places to pre-order my book you're not enough and that's okay awesome and again thank you so much for joining thank us you. really appreciate thank it you.